Um, I'm going to continue my little series, whatever you want to call it this year. We're looking at some of the Christmas carols um, and just seeing what they kind of have to say about uh, the story of Jesus Christ, the Christmas message. And uh, it's interesting, today's song that I picked is A Little Town of Bethlehem. And I just want to read uh, an article title of, a, of an article that I saw this morning um, while I was checking the news out anyway. Um, that's some of my routines that I do. Um, that, that I read. It says, There's no Christmas in Bethlehem this year. With war in Gaza, festivities are off. And I thought, how interesting. Uh, I'm going to preach about Bethlehem. I'm going to talk about Bethlehem today. That, that the news is reporting there is no Christmas in Bethlehem today, and I, or this year. And uh, I will just let you know there is Christmas in Bethlehem. They may not have festivities. We'll talk about that. But, but there is Christmas in Bethlehem. But the irony of, of that statement just resonated with me this morning. You know, as we approach Christmas, there's probably so many places that people say there will be no Christmas here. But boy, the truth of the story, the truth of what Jesus Christ did, it may not mean you put up a Christmas tree. It may not mean in Bethlehem you get to have your manger store and your, get your Jesus baby dolls and stuff like store, you know, your gift shops. You may not be doing that piece of it, but Christmas is. Christmas is the coming of Christ. Christmas is what Jesus Christ accomplishes in us and through us. And whether we put up a tree or we have a manger, Christmas is because he came. Amen? I mean, that's, that's good. Anyway, I'm going to preach on a little town of Bethlehem today. I'll read the words of the song. I don't have them on a slide, I don't think, this time. Um, oh, yeah, I do. Never mind. I'll read and you can read along with me. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Get in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars, um, together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God, the King and peace to men on earth. How, how silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is give, given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. Now here is heard is coming, but in this word of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide in us, O Lord Emmanuel. And you know, as we look at these songs, I mean, there is some... That's what I love about the carols. There is some deep, deep theological truths in these songs. Um, what we sing, it's, it's profound what we're singing about. It's incredible the theology that we're sharing with our words as we're singing these carols. In a little town of Bethlehem is no different. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the background. It's fun to look at the background of some of these older songs. So there was a pastor in, in Philadelphia, um, his name was Philip Brooks in the 1860s. They said he was a, a prominent pastor of a Presbyterian church in Philadelphia. Um, apparently he was physically and, and uh, um, 
spiritually just a demonstrative individual. He's like 6'6", 300 pounds, just pastoring a, a, a powerful church. And um, as I was thinking about his life, can you imagine pastoring a church in the midst of the Civil War? Like that's the time in which he was called to pastor a church. So he had to pastor a church in a nation that was divided. It had to be a really unique situation. 1865, something pretty significant happened in our history. Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And um, this individual, Philip Brooks, was asked to come to the White House as his body lay in state and deliver a message at the White House. So he just come off the Civil War. Now, I mean, I feel pressure sometimes when I have to speak in front of a lot of people I don't know. Can you imagine speaking before a nation? Obviously, they didn't have the news there, but you're speaking before. I mean, the dude had just gone through all kinds of pressure. So guess what a lot of pastors did after the Civil War? They didn't quit. They went on sabbatical, uh, which means they took a break for a little while. And so he chose over Christmas to go on a sabbatical to the Holy Land. And while he was there in the Holy Land, uh, it was Christmas Eve. The story goes he took about a six-mile horseback ride to a town outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. And at some point while he was on that ride, or whether he was in the town, on Christmas Eve, he began to journal the words that I just read. Now, any good pastor knows if something's really good, you don't waste it. So three years later, they were having a kid's Christmas program in his church. See, kid's programs are powerful. They were having a kid's Christmas program in his church. And so he took the words that he wrote as he was reflecting in Bethlehem to his organist. And he said, hey, will you put this to music for our kid's program so they can sing this song at our Christmas program? And then that's how we have the song that we sing, A Little Town of of Bethlehem. What an intriguing title to a song. Oh, Little town of Bethlehem. Well, the town of Bethlehem, I tried figuring it out. But, you know, it's speculation, I guess. There's no concrete answer. What was the population of Bethlehem when Jesus Christ was born? And I, I looked and, and I saw numbers more often than not uh, from two to 3,000 people was the population of this town of, of Bethlehem when Christ was born. And when you think of that in the context of Jerusalem, six miles away is the, the major hub of Jerusalem. The, the major population center of, of Israel was just six miles away. This small, and it, we can say rural then, because six miles was a long time. Do you know what I mean? Like, it took a long time on a horseback or it takes a long, you know, anyway. It's a long ways away when you don't have a bus, train, car, plane, whatever to get there. So it's a rural community outside of the, the center of everything. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2, as the kings, they came, remember after Jesus was born, they came and they were talking to Herod and they asked him some questions and they started to speak to the king. And they said, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a, a ruler who will shepherd my people. When they were speaking to this king, they were talking of a prophecy they had heard. That, that out of what people might perceive as 
the least. This is what the word was saying. The promise was the the greatest would come. In Micah chapter 5, we see a, a prophecy about this. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, I guess, I'm just making that up. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small. That Hebrew word that is translated here, it's translated as little, insignificant, and young. But you, Bethlehem, though you are insignificant, though you are small, though you are overlooked, though you are are seen by the world as nothing. But from you, something great is coming. The Messiah, the plan of God, the plan that he had was that the Messiah of the world would come and be born in oh little town of Bethlehem. I think here we can relate to little town. Right? I'm going to share this and, and we'll come back to this a little bit later. I remember when I first came to pastor the church and, and something that I heard a lot when we got here was we're a small church and boy that just ruffled my feathers. You know, we like to identify ourselves. You know, sometimes when we talk about our community, we're just a royal, royal, rural, not royal, but that fits for Bethlehem anyway. We'll come back to that. That's later on. We're just a rural town in the middle of nowhere. And what do we often do because we see ourselves as insignificant? We often disqualify what God can do in us and through us. Why did God choose a place that in the world's eyes was absolutely insignificant? In the world's eyes, it was a place that, that, that nothing good would come from. Remember, Jesus has the double whammy. I'm, this is later in my notes too, but I'm just going to say it. Where, where they say, nothing good can come from Nazareth. Well, Joseph went from Nazareth, Nazareth to Bethlehem for his family to be counted in the census. That's why they were going to Bethlehem. So, so nothing good can come from there. An insignificant place is where they go. But see, sometimes what the world sees as insignificant, God sees as significant. Bethlehem, this place that the world would say is small, this place that the world would say is nothing, has a pretty significant place biblically. If you go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 35. Then they moved on from Bethel. 
when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. And she breathed her last, for she was dying. And she named her son Ben-Oni, meaning the son of trouble, but his father naming Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem Ephrathah. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. So the first time we see the town of Bethlehem in Scripture, the first time we see this place in Scripture, it is a place of suffering. It's a place of sorrow. It's a place where, where, where Jacob's wife died on her way there. They were going there, and, and, and it became known as a place of suffering. But I love God because he takes insignificant places and places of sorrow, and he does something remarkable. If you continue to go through the Old Testament, you come to the book of Ruth. Remember that story? Naomi and Ruth, uh, Naomi, uh, she, she has her sons and they, get, they marry off and, and Ruth gets married to one of them. He dies and, and she says that, you know, Naomi tells her to go back to her people and she says, no, I'm going to go back with you, Naomi. And, and she follows Naomi back home. Guess where Naomi goes? Oh, it's a good story. Ruth chapter 4. Then Boaz, because he's the guy that comes along, he announced to the elders and all the people, Today your witnesses that I have bought Naomi and all the property of Elimelech. Now this sounds weird, but just let it be. He, all that was had to be redeemed. Boaz is saying to them, I bought them. This is a weird part in Scripture where they, where they trade sandals or something. They, they, they give each other sandals as a sign of the covenant publicly. All this is happening, the property of Amalek, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that the name will not disappear from his family or from his hometown. Today you're my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the family of Israel. And may you have standing where? In Ephrathah. And be famous in Bethlehem. Though the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, or through, I'm sorry, the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. What this moment, scripturally, Boaz was called the kinsman Redeemer. This is a moment where Bethlehem has now gone from a place of sorrow to becoming a place of redemption. Bethlehem has gone from being a place of mourning to a place of rejoicing. And we're prophetically speaking, the people, because of the covenant that was made, they're prophetically speaking about God's promises that will be fulfilled through a Moabite woman. Moabite. She was redeemed in, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem isn't just a place of sorrow, but it's also 
a place of redemption. If you just go just a little bit further, 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 15, what's happening is Saul has, has rebelled or he's messed up as king. He's losing his kingship. And, and the prophet Samuel is, is called to anoint a new king. And the Lord tells him it's going to come from the sons of Jesse. So then he consecrated in, in, in 16. This is... Um, Man, these are backwards. So we're just going to have to do this backwards. For you, it doesn't matter. For me, it does. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I don't have it up there. See? There you go. That's why you couldn't answer me. An insignificant place in the world's eyes. Third time, something rather incredible is taking place in this city. It was a place of suffering. It was a place of redemption. Now it's going to be a place of royalty. A royal place, not a rural place. See, I said that's coming back. I'm sending it to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be the king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. When they met him, they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel said, yes, in peace. I have come the sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. I love this. O little town of Bethlehem. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things the people look at. The, the people look at the outward appearance. They look for the significant things. But God, he says, they look at, at but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the small one. Remember that word? There's still that insignificant one. They're still the youngest one. Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send to him. He will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. O little town of Bethlehem, the message of this song, the message to you and I, sometimes the things that we see are insignificant. God wants to do the absolute incredible through.
Sometimes when we look at ourselves and we say, I'm just small, or I'm not enough, or I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I'm too this, or I'm too that, God is looking at us and saying that is a significant place. What did he speak in the word to us today? He said, everyone in this room is called. Apparently, God defined every one of us as significant. Apparently, God is saying to everyone who is in this room and the the room behind that, that this is that you are, you heard this morning, you are significant. Your life may have been a place of sorrow, a place of redemption, a place of royalty. He's saying to you today, you are significant. But what do the words of this song say? You see, as, as Philip Brooks was in that town of Bethlehem, as he was writing these words, what he noticed was, was the town, which I don't think it looked like that picture, but that was a good graphic that I found online. Uh, anyway, that's besides the point. Um, was going about their business and had no idea what was being accomplished. How, how silently the words say, how silently the wondrous gift is given. While, while mortals sleep, the words say, the angels keep their watch. Uh, you know, that, that all this is taking place and men and women aren't seeing it. Listen to me. Sometimes when you think you're insignificant, you don't see what God is really doing in your life. If God is calling you, we're going to say if, since God has called you, I promise he's moving in your life. Since God has a plan for you, I promise he's the one who orchestrated everything we see. He's the one who who made cells function how they function and and organisms and and all that is uh, organs and systems in our body work. If he can orchestrate all that, he can orchestrate the plans that he's got for your life. He's working. He's moving. He's doing. How silently. How oblivious. How much were the people missing that God was really doing? What about us? What about you? Are you missing what God's really doing? Are you sleeping when what you've been waiting for has just come? There's a story in the Old Testament. I've, I've shared it before. It's, it's one of those that, to me, gives a good pre- picture of, of missing what God is doing. Um, let me see my notes now. Sorry. I might have missed some stuff. Oh, well. Sometimes when I preach, I get, get ahead of myself. I'm talking to myself, Rosemary, okay? I can hear. Story in the Old Testament. See, I'm back. Just took me a second to find it. Elisha is a prophet. There's a king that's chasing 
Achim, the king of Amnon, I believe it is, and, and he wants to kill the Israelites. He's trying to kill and wipe out the Israelites. And, and this prophet just keeps reading his mail and telling the king, hey, the, the, the king of Israel, this king's trying to come here. And so Israel would move and the king would get frustrated and then he'd plan another attack and Israel would move again. The king would get frustrated. And, and, and so the king's really upset. So he sends all his forces to surround Israel. And, and we see the story in Second Kings, the servant with Elisha. So Elisha is a prophet. He's got a servant with him. And he, he got up and he went out early the next morning and an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. How many times do we not see what God is doing because of what's surrounding us? How many times do we not see what God is doing because we're too small? We're not enough. This prophet, the, the, the servant of the prophet, all he could see was, was what was physically around him. And he said, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? I probably respond a little bit differently than that, but we'll take it for what it is. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked up and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Those armies were there before the servant saw them. God was moving before the servant was ever aware. I wonder in you, O little town of Bethlehem, what God might be doing that you are absolutely missing because of what's surrounding you or what you've heard or what people are saying or what you're focused on. I know I've got to be done, Ryan, before one o'clock today. What world do I live in where women's volleyball? It's amazing. My kids came home the other day. This is not in my notes. Just give me a moment. Tame your tongue, Steve. Be careful. Levi came home and, and I asked him how his day at school was. You know what he told me? I watched NFR at school today. I, what world? Did I ever dream I would live in where my kids watching the rodeo at school? I watched the basketball tournament, but never the rodeo when I was growing up. Oh my goodness, I recognized I was in a little town of Crawford. <laughs> Sorry, now I've got to figure out where I'm at again, Rosemary. I'm going to have a conversation with myself again. But what a message. I, I quoted a scripture. I want to come back to that scripture. First um, John chapter one or John chapter one. This is the beginning of the story in John. This is a little bit later. Jesus is starting to call his disciples. I mentioned this verse. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, Well, you found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth could anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, come and see, said Philip. This verse resonates with me. As a pastor in this church, I've shared this before, 
But I had pastors look at me and say the very same words about a small town in northwest Nebraska. I had pastors who were my co-workers say to me, can anything good come out of Crawford, Nebraska? Can anything good come out of there? But what we have to recognize is even though the world may see something that is insignificant because of the revelation of the Word of God, the Word who has been made flesh and made His dwelling among us, God can make the small things great things. God can do the incredible through the insignificant if we allow Him the ability to reign in our lives. Do I need to preach that again? I got a couple nods. I want to say the world might say that nothing good can come from you. The world might tell you you are too small. You are not enough. The world might say you're insignificant. You might be missing what God is doing, but put your confidence in the one who came. You know, the news can say they're not having Christmas in Bethlehem, but I know the truth of Jesus Christ. So Christmas absolutely comes. I know that God this morning said, I have called you. I know that he asked us to speak his truth. I know he's got great and mighty things, not just for me, not just for the church as a whole, but for your life. No matter how insignificant, no matter how small, no matter how scared you are, God has incredible things for your life. Who dares? This is Zechariah. As they rebuilt the temple of God, Remember, the people got exiled, sorry, context, moved out of Jerusalem. Temple was torn down, the one that Solomon built with all the gold, but it was crazy big, crazy huge, whatever else. And the people were sent back to Jerusalem after exile to rebuild the temple under uh, Cyrus was the king, Zerubbabel was the governor. And they started to rebuild the temple. Do you know what happened? The people got disappointed because what was before them was nothing compared to what was. What they were seeing was tiny in comparison to what they had heard about. Zechariah says, who dares despise the day of small things? I want to say that to you this morning. Who dares to despise the day of insignificant things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. That's a lot of words to say God's in control. He sees and knows. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Instead, God chose the things of the world the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers as important. We are small things in the eyes of the world. But powerful things in the hands of God. This morning, I I wrote it down. I didn't take time to focus on the word that God spoke to us. I wrote it down. The word he spoke during worship. He said to us, not only was he calling us, but he said these very words, no one is too big. Remember this? And then he said, no one is too small. 
I'm telling you, God wants you to hear something today. God wants you to hear something today. You are not too big, you're not bigger than he is, and you're not too small. You're not insignificant in his plan. He said to go about your work, to share the good news. Not only did he say share it, I mean, God was polite this morning. He said, please, please share the good news was the word. I wrote down. You guys can come forward. This morning, I want the last chorus. You say, Pastor, what do we do with all this? You're talking about big things, little things. You're talking about places and people, things we see, things we don't see. The last stanza of this song is an incredible prayer for us today. It's not going to work. I'll just read it. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem. This morning as we conclude this place, and I know... Uh, I still want an opportunity to pray with you this morning. If you have a need in your life, I want you to be able to respond to his message. But I'm telling you, the last chorus, and, and maybe that's where we can start, worship team, is on the last chorus, and then we can go back to the rest of it if you want. But I really like the last verse. I'm sorry, not chorus. That's weird. Because um, the first chorus is the second chorus. It's the third chorus. It's just the verses that change. Thank you. Um, o holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the glad great tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel. I want to tell you this morning that God desires to to abide with you. I want you to tell you that this day he desires for Emmanuel, which means God with us, to be revealed in you. He longs this day to come to you, to come and and make presence with you, to abide with you this day. Why? Because the curse of sin has been broken. The power and purpose he has, the work he wants to accomplish, he's Emmanuel who wants to come in you. Oh, little town. Oh, little person. Oh, little one. Emmanuel is coming. He wants to be revealed in you. Some of you may say, God, I need to make a little bit of room. You can ask to make room in your life for for him. Uh, Some may need to say, God, open my eyes today so I can see what you're doing. Maybe you need to say, remind me of that purpose in which you're calling me to accomplish. What is it, God, that you want me to do? I know that Jesus Christ has come and he longs to be revealed in you. Father, this morning... In this place. I pray for us all. God, I pray for the ones who may feel small, insignificant, not enough. I pray, God, that this day that that we can recognize that spiritually that, that you do incredible things. That the world sees as nothing. Father, for all of us, Lord, I ask that, that we would allow Emmanuel to be revealed. I pray that our eyes, Lord, would be open to seeing what you are doing, to seeing what you have accomplished, to seeing the plans that are being brought to pass even now, even today in our lives. That we would know Jesus Christ and the fullness of the word made flesh. He makes his dwelling among us. We're going to sing this last verse. 
as a prayer. As we're singing this song too, we're going to conclude the service with that. But if you have a need in your life, if you want to respond to this message, if, if you need to respond to the God who says, no, you are important and you want to pray, the altars will be open. If you have something else in your life, I'll be up here to pray with you as your pastor. Um, let's respond to his word. Yes, oh child of Bethlehem. insignificant. Amen? God has a plan. Amen? Through the small things, the incredible. I say the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you discover, may you see Be blessed.